Philippians chapter number 1. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 12. The Word of God says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Let's read again verse number 18. Paul says, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we do want to praise you and give you the glory for all that is good in our lives. Lord, all that is worthy of mention, all that gives us joy and encouragement and happiness is due to your benevolent grace in our lives. And Father, we want to praise you and give you the glory for even the smallest of these things, knowing, Father, that anything that's a gift from above, from the Father of lights, is a wonderful thing. Lord, I pray this evening that you would apply the truth of your word to our hearts. Lord, there's some things in your word that are hard to be understood, but Father, we know that as the Spirit of God illuminates our soul and our mind to these truths, that they can have a real and lasting impact as they are appropriated into our lives. Father, we love you. We just appreciate and thank you for all that you have done in our lives and all that you will do. We ask now that these next few moments would count for eternity. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Paul speaks in verse number 12 about some things that had happened unto him. He's giving this testimony from a Roman jail. And as he is giving this testimony, it's interesting to note through the book of Philippians that one of the key truths and key words in the book of Philippians is the word rejoice. You know, I don't know about you, but when you read what Paul is writing here and you sense the tone of joy and encouragement, it's sort of astonishing to think about his present circumstances. I'm reminded again tonight that in the life of the believer, our joy and our rejoicing is not vested in our present circumstances, but rather is vested in the person of Christ. We don't have... We, listen, if you live in this world, you're going to have difficult times sometimes. We don't have to let those difficult times dictate and rule our attitude and our outward manifestation. We can make our minds up like Paul did. He said, I, I have rejoiced. And then I like what he adds. He says, and I will rejoice. No matter what comes along my way, I have made up my mind to be happy in Jesus Christ. Made up my mind to express to the world that Jesus Christ is worth every bit of it. I want us to think for a few moments about this thought tonight. And I've titled this message, I Therein Do Rejoice. Now, I don't know what you're going through, but I know that therein you can rejoice if you look at it the way that Paul did. Think first off with me with the uncomfortable situations of Paul. Now, you know, some folks, I've heard people say things before like this. They'll say, well, I know what you're going through, but they didn't know what I was going through. You ever had anybody tell you that before? Sure you have. 
People in your life say, I know what you're going through, but you know, and everyone else knows that they don't really know. And then sometimes you have people tell you things like this, well, it'll get better. And the truth is, they don't even know how bad it is. They don't know what it looks like to be sitting where you're sitting. Well, could I propose to you tonight that Paul is a man that has earned the right to make these statements. Paul is a man that knows what it is to suffer. And not to suffer as a wrongdoer, but to suffer as a Christian. I'd say this, that we're probably coming into a time in our country where we're going to learn a little bit more what it means to suffer as a Christian if we're willing to take a stand for the truth of the Word of God. Listen, I believe that before Kentucky and before they put that lady in jail. I've been preaching that before that. I'm still preaching it now. Not got anything to do with Kentucky one way or the other. I'm just telling you that the evil days are coming and men are going to wax worse and worse and worse. We better grow comfortable with that truth. Paul, as he speaks these words, they have the ring and the sound of truth, sincerity, and experience. For this is a man that is seated, not on comfortable couches that lavish the flesh and that ease the mind, but this is a man that is in jail at this moment, that is held against his will. And when he says, these things which happened unto me, he's saying a mouthful. In fact, as we consider these, I want to say a few things about, number one, the bonds that held him. I think Paul's talking about his current situation. He's talking about being in prison, being held against his will. Certainly, Paul knew what it was to suffer. He spoke about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this in verse 23, Are they ministers of Christ? Now, Paul, you have to understand the context. Paul's talking about some that are claiming that Paul is a phony and claiming he's not genuine. And Paul basically says, Are they ministers of Christ? And then in parentheses, he says, I speak as a fool. In other words, he's saying, I don't want to say this. I know it's foolish to say these things, but they've compelled me through their glorying in the flesh. He says, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren. You almost get ready for him to say, on a train and on a plane and in a box with a fox. He's saying, it doesn't matter where I've been, it seems as though trouble has followed me. He says, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. In other words, Paul is saying this, I know what it's like to suffer a little bit. I know what it's like for the road to not be easy. I know what it's like to hurt both physically and emotionally. And he speaks of these bonds that are a reality in his life. Listen, you may be going through some tough times. I'm convinced of this, that the people that hurt the most wear their pain the deepest. Do you know what I mean? Somebody say amen if you know what I mean. Those that hurt the most wear their pain the deepest. Often the people that you hear complain the most are hurting the least. And the people that you hear complain the least are hurting the most. Paul is a man that knows what it is to suffer because of the bonds 
that held him. He mentions him in verse number 13. He says, my bonds in Christ. In verse 14, he speaks of him again. He says, by my bonds. And in verse number 16, he says, supposing that affliction to my bonds. He was very literally speaking about the bonds of prison, but he was also, I think, speaking about any sufferings that we may experience in our lives. And I think that the bonds in his life move beyond just those physical bonds. Sometimes the suffering that we partake in is physical. And, you know, I think sometimes we make light of physical suffering. I think sometimes in the context of of sermons and preaching and studying the Word of God and fellowship with Christians, we sometimes treat physical suffering as though it's a a light thing, like someone's not really suffering unless they're suffering spiritually. Let me tell you something. Oftentimes when we suffer physically, we are but a few short steps away from suffering emotionally and spiritually. Paul is talking about these literal sufferings, but sometimes those bonds are emotional bonds. Areas of our life that we're struggling with. Areas of our life that we're having trouble giving over to Jesus Christ. Listen, I know there's nothing He can't handle if we'll give it over to Him. But if you're like anything like me, sometimes you fight to give it over to Him. Sometimes, of course, there are spiritual bonds. Times when the strong man would seek to bind us. Times when the devil would seek to gain a foothold and an advantage in our life. That's just the reality of the Christian walk. You say, preacher, what, is, what good does it do to speak of these things? It gives us an honest expectation of the road ahead of us. If, listen, if you think things are always going to be just easy, you might quit halfway along the road because you weren't expecting. But you count the cost and know that there are going to be difficult times. It might prepare you to weather some of those storms. Paul speaks of the bonds that held him. Verse number 15 and 16, he spoke of the brethren that heard him. Interesting language is used here. He says this in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of good will. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. When he speaks of the word contention, it carries with it the idea of political advantageousism. That's a George Bush word. Somebody say amen right there. But you know what I mean. <laughs> Somebody just seeking to gather a crowd around themselves. Do we know anybody like that? I've known some preachers that are like that. Somebody say amen. You all right with me tonight? I've known some preachers like that. It wasn't about the ministry. It was about the multitudes. It wasn't about Christ. It was about popularity. Paul speaks of some that are... Uh, preaching Christ merely to gather a crowd. It's interesting he uses the word envy and strife. Almost carries with it this idea, that of drama. You ever know anybody that just likes a good dose of drama? I've known some people like that. They don't know what to do if they're in fussing and fighting. And oftentimes through those experiences they can gain a foothold in people's lives and gather to them a crowd of supporters. Some folks like for a line to be drawn in the sand so that folks will step over onto their side. I've known folks like that. And they like for there to be fussing and fighting because then that gives them a crowd of supporters. Paul says there's some out there that they're preaching Christ out of contention. They're just trying to draw a crowd unto themselves. Paul says this has hurt me. He says that it's added affliction. That phrase carries with it the idea of chains rubbing a prisoner in a painful way. Paul has been speaking about the physical bonds and the spiritual bonds. But then he says this, In the midst of my suffering, there are some who would add to my affliction. Uh, You know, the Bible tells us that words fitly spoken 
can make a real impact in our life. But let me say this, that oftentimes criticisms, poorly spoken, can add a lot of burden to us. You ever heard anybody or had anybody just say the wrong thing at the wrong time? You ever had somebody, sometimes they mean well, sometimes they don't. But it's almost like they sense the hurt that you're going through and they walk in with a fiery dart. I don't know where they got it, but I've got a good idea because I know where fiery darts come from. And they come in and they've got it aimed right at you. And they're ready to add to your affliction. I understand that the truth must prevail. I understand that people need to know when they've done wrong. Somebody say amen. Isn't that true? I understand they do. But let me tell you something. Once somebody knows they're wrong, they don't have to be reminded every ten seconds. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of weakness or meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know, the idea of overtaken, that has the idea of somebody that is drowning in a fault. I don't know about you, but most folks that I know that are drowning, they know about it. They know they're in over their head. They know they've got out into waters too deep for them to tread. Paul says in his personal experience, by the way, Paul hadn't messed up. Paul was serving God, and there were some that in the midst of that suffering wanted to add to that affliction. Now, I know we say sometimes, you know, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, so on and so forth, but the reality is words hurt. They hurt. We're all guilty of casting our word out like bread upon water, scattering it to the wind and using it haphazardly. I'm guilty of that. I'm sure you're guilty of that. It's a lot easier to speak a word than it is to scoop it back up. And sometimes it's a lot easier to speak a word than it is to hear a word. Am I right? Sometimes it's a lot easier to give a word than it is to receive a word. And sometimes from the position you're in, you don't realize it, but you know what you're doing? You're taking them chains and you're twisting them a little more. You're tightening those cuffs just a little bit more. Rubbing those chains just a little bit raw. Paul speaks of an uncomfortable situation. But it does not end there. That's good news. If it ended there, we'd find that Paul is in the pit of despair and discouraged and so on and so forth. But we know that it does not end there because we see not only the uncomfortable situations of Paul, but we see the uninterrupted service of Paul. Let me tell you something. I don't care what you're going through. You can serve God in it. You may not be able to serve Him in the way you'd like, but you can always serve Him. You may not be able to serve Him to the capacity that you wished, but you can always serve Him. Paul is at a time in his life where, I mean, if there's ever an excuse to give up, I think he's got one. Somebody say amen. Paul is under house arrest. Paul has been living for God, obeying God, serving God, and it's got him chained to a Roman soldier. And if there's anybody that can say, man, I'm done. I'm, I'm over it. I'm giving it up. And I've got a good excuse to do it. It was the Apostle Paul. Man, excuses are a dangerous thing. Somebody say amen to that. They're dangerous. And I'll tell you why. Because the devil has a never-ending supply of them. I'm reminded of uh, what Rabshakeh said, and I'm going to preach on it one of these days. I've had it floating around in my head for about three weeks now. Rabshakeh that stood outside the walls when Jerusalem was under siege and Hezekiah was king. And he was threatening and trying to get them to surrender and to give the city over to the Syrians. You know what Rabshakeh said? He said this, I have 2,000 horses ready 
if you've got men that you're able to put on them as riders. You know what he was saying? He was saying the city isn't worth it. The fight isn't worth it. The siege can't be overcome. And I've got 2,000 horses sitting right here. And all you have to do is walk out of that city, climb on one, and ride away. Let me tell you something. That's what the devil does with excuses. When we're in the midst of affliction and suffering, when we're at our lowest point, he shows up outside the city walls and says, I've got a horse if you're ready to escape. I've got an excuse if you want to just ride away. Man, Paul could have made some excuses. Paul could have said, I've served God and it's gotten me nowhere, but he didn't. Instead, he looked around at what God was doing in his life. And you know, as we get downtrodden and our, as our head hangs low, there's no telling how many things God is doing that we miss while our head is hanging low. You might find that if you have enough faith to look up instead of looking down, you might see God's doing some things in your life. That's what Paul did. Paul looked up and saw some things that God was doing. I'd say first off that Paul notices that God is doing a work of evangelism through his bonds. It's interesting in verse number 13. Look at it with me. He says this, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. When it says palace, it's not just speaking about the palace, but it's speaking distinctly about the praetorian guard that existed at that time. That was the Roman imperial guard, or we might call them the bodyguards of Caesar. And as Paul was under lock and key, he was not necessarily, I know we've sometimes preached on him being down in a dingy pit somewhere and, you know, rats running around. I'm sure Paul spent some nights like that as he served God. But the suffering he's speaking about here and the imprisonment he's speaking about here was much more like a house arrest. In fact, it's described for us in Acts 28. It says in verse 30, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. In other words, as Paul was under house arrest, he was placed under the locking key of the imperial guard of Rome. And they would oftentimes, when he speaks of of bonds, it has the idea of a chain, a short chain, that would attach a prisoner to a soldier. Now, I know today we've got razor wire and we've got cameras and we've got things like that, but they had a pretty foolproof way of keeping a prisoner where they wanted him. They'd take a big old Roman soldier. Sometimes they'd take three or four of them. You remember in Acts chapter 12, the Bible talks about a quaternion of soldiers that watched over Peter. It was the same sort of idea. They'd take these soldiers and they'd chain them directly to the prisoner. Now, most of us, we would look at that fella. Uh, when we were singing music, I don't know what Brother Kerry did, but I looked over my little boy while Brother Kerry's leading. So he's just mean mugging him. I don't know if... I don't know if he was hitting the wrong note or something. But I, looked, I looked over my... And that's how we would have done that guard, you or I. We would have sat there and looked at him with every bit of hate and malice and resentment and contempt that we could. Paul, you know what he saw? He saw a captive audience. Now, they didn't know it. They thought they were signing up to do their duty at the jail. They didn't realize they were signing up for a course in systematic theology. But here they are chained to the greatest theologian to ever walk the earth short of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's got them under lock and key for about six hours. And he begins to witness to these men. 
it gets to such a point that you get to the end of chapter 4 and verse 22. And look what he says. This is interesting. He says he's saluting everyone. You know, he, he says this in verse 21. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. In other words, Paul says, I've got some brethren here. They're with me and they want to say hi. Okay? And he says, all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Caesar hated, and we know that Paul lost his head under Nero's axe. And at this time in Roman history, there was absolutely no sympathy for the things of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't have an audience until they chained that soldier to him. But now he sees it as an opportunity to reach people that he otherwise could never reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And pretty soon as he's witnessing and working amongst these soldiers, telling them the old, old story of Jesus and His love, God begins to save them and does a work even in Caesar's own household and gives Jesus Christ a witness in that most important of venues. You see, the truth of the matter is this. Paul looked around and he said this, I can sit around feeling sorry for myself or I can look around for an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And he found this, that through his affliction there were people he could reach that he otherwise never could have. You may find this, that through the things you're going through, you have an audience with people that never listen to you otherwise. It might be that as you're... And I understand, everybody that's here tonight, you're not laying in a hospital bed, you're here tonight. But you may find yourself in a hospital bed next week. You may find nurses there. I've heard many a nurse wander Jesus Christ through some patient that had a heart to live for the Lord. And even in the midst of their suffering, they were sharing the gospel. You may find in the midst of your trials and afflictions people that will bend their ear to you that otherwise would not because of what you're going through. And I'm convinced of this. God spoke about the God of all comfort doing a work in them. And He said this, that the God of all comfort worketh consolation in us. You know what He was saying? He was saying this, through the things we're going through, we can comfort somebody else. There's some folks going through some things, and we've got a witness with them because of the things we're going through. Paul says, I look around and I can feel sorry for myself, but there's too many people to tell about Jesus Christ to sit around feeling sorry for myself. He says that God does a work of evangelism. He mentions that God did a work of encouragement through His affliction. Verse 14, he says this, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, if you place yourself in the context of New Testament Christianity, radically different than the day that we live in now. Now, if you want somebody to know that you're a Christian, you just share it on Facebook, right? <laughs> now, if you want somebody to know you're a Christian, you buy a bumper sticker. Amen? You know, but you better drive right if you're going to buy one. You buy a t-shirt or whatever it might be. And it's really no large or or grandiose thing just simply to tell someone, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe you ought to do it. I'm not minimizing or diminishing it. But that is not the context of the New Testament church here. At this time, people are being fed to the lions for claiming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says this, you know what I've found? I found through my affliction that God is giving a holy boldness to others to stand up for Jesus Christ because of what I'm going through. You know, you may find this to be true. Whatever you're going through, there might be another Christian, and you may not even be aware of it, but that's going through the same thing. And they're watching to see how you handle it, to find out whether they can handle it.
Paul says, man, these people are watching me. And once they see that I can stand for Jesus Christ, then they're willing to take a stand for Jesus Christ. I'm reminded in the book of First uh, Samuel chapter or Second Samuel chapter number fourteen or First Samuel. I don't know. You'll find it and you'll correct me. But in <laughs> in First Samuel chapter fourteen, we're told about the battle between the Philistines and the nation of Israel, and how that Saul was encamped under the pomegranate tree in Gibeah, and he was just laying out in the shade. He didn't want to go forward unto the battle. And he had all of his men gathered up there around him. They were just sitting around waiting, twiddling their thumbs while there was a battle to be fought. Jonathan and his armor bearer, Jonathan looks over at his armor bearer and he says, Hey, you ready to cause some trouble? I mean, that's paraphrasing, okay? Don't, don't look for that. You'll tear concordance to pieces trying to find it. But, it. but he looks at him and says, You ready to cause some trouble? He says, Always. And he says, Whatever you want to do, I'll go with you. And, isn't that a good friend? Let me tell you something. You ain't got a real friend until you've got one that will get into trouble with you. Somebody say amen. He says, oh yeah, I'll go with you. So Jonathan says, all right, I'll tell you what. We're going to go down. We're going to meet the Philistines. We're going to uh, set a test out in front of them as to whether they ask us to come near or not come near. But they get down to the battle and God moves upon them and they just start mowing through the enemy. And the Bible speaks of how that they were, were slaying within an acre. I mean, just scores of the enemy. Insomuch that Saul up on the hill looks down and he says, who is that down there fighting the enemy? They take a census there real quick, take a head count. They say, man, the only people missing are Jonathan and his armor bearer. That must be them. Pretty soon, you know what happens? The army on the hillside that's doing nothing, they're up on their feet and they're charging into the battle. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that there were even some that were hid in the rocks and the caves that when they saw the battle, they took off running for it. And even beyond that, the Bible says there were some turncoats, some people that were Israelites that had been fighting for the Philistines because they were fearful of them. And when they saw what Jonathan was doing, they came from behind enemy lines and began to fight. You know what happened? Two men made their mind up that they was going to serve God in the midst of their circumstances. And there was a whole army that looked out and said, if they can do it, I can do it. You might find out there's some people hiding in the rocks and the hills, keeping their Christianity quiet because they're afraid they can't handle what it'll bring. You may find there's even some folks that are behind enemy lines living in the world and living in the land of the Philistines because they're afraid somebody's going to make fun of them, mock them, and persecute them for their testimony. And you may find this, that if you'll stand there'll be some folks that'll stand with you. It'd be better to stand alone than to sit down in the court of Satan. But you'll usually find that if you'll stand, you won't have to stand alone. Paul did at times. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. But you know what? That was just at his first answer. Eventually, God sent him some people to strengthen his hand. And here he is in prison. And he says, as I look outward at those that are watching me, I find that I'm giving them encouragement through what I'm experiencing. Then he speaks not only that God did a work of encouragement, but he says, I find that God is doing a work of edification in my own life. Verse number 19, he says this, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, that word salvation in this context, he's not speaking about personal soul salvation, but rather what he is saying is this, through the saving of my well-being. 
The word salvation in the Bible doesn't always denote the idea of a soul salvation. And you'll find many times through the Bible uh, that there are instances given of sometimes a temporal salvation, sometimes a spiritual salvation that is not a soul salvation, which is what Paul is talking about here. Well, he's not saying that uh, Jesus Christ is going to save me because of what I'm going through, but he's saying this, that God is using this to promote and to engender well-being and spiritual health in my life. God is doing a work in me through what I'm experiencing. And listen, I know we sound like a broken record, but I really think if we'd ever get this, it'd change our lives. That God doesn't do anything ever to hurt us. God doesn't ever do anything to hurt us. Everything God does in your life, it's for His glory and for your good. There's nothing that you're going through, but what if you'll yield it to Jesus Christ and through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ? I I like that phrase. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying this. Man, I don't know what it is, but it seems like ever since I've been going through this, I've been more full of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that what he's saying? Through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ? saying, man, it just seems like ever since I've been going through this, it seems like not only does God have more of me, but i got more of Him. God's doing a work of edification in my life. Believe it or not, whatever God puts you through, He'll see you through and He'll help you through, no matter what it is. We see in this passage the uninterrupted service of Paul. And then finally, and I just want to touch on this and I'll be done, we see the undefiled spirit of Paul. Look at verse number 18. It sort of sums up his approach. I like what he says at the very beginning. He says, what then? That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that an interesting turn of phrase? He's saying, well, what's next? Here's what people are doing. Here's what I'm going through. And here's what God is doing. So what's left to talk about? He says the only thing left to talk about is what I'm doing. I know what people are doing. I know what God is doing. So what am I going to do in the midst of my affliction? He says, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. We see, first off, an absence of resentment. Uh, we all struggle, I think, with... Uh, well, I struggle with it. I guess you do too. Sometimes it's easy to be a critic, isn't it? And it's just so easy to be a critic. After all, when you know everything, like you do and I do, it's easy to be a critic. Paul says, hey, I'm not going to critique it. Christ is being preached. Now, this is not a license... Nor is it a compulsion to not say anything or speak out against compromise or against disobedience to the Word of God. But what Paul is saying is this. I could make it my mission to set the world straight. Or I just keep my eyes on living for Jesus Christ and praise the Lord when Christ is preached. Saying some of them, they're preaching them out of contention, out of strife. And you know what the result is? Christ is preached. In other words, you know what the result is? People are here in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we need to yoke up with every group that's way off in the ditch somewhere. But I'm saying this, our enemy is not that group. Our enemy is the devil. Our captain is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our cause and our war and our battle and our marching orders are the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what we ought to do? We ought to get our eyes on Him and on the task that is at hand and... Leave those things to eternity. You'll find God will settle every single one of them. It says at the end of the day, man, Christ is being preached. And I've got to rejoice in that. 
We see an absence of resentment, but we see a presence of rejoicing. He says in the next phrase, And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Now, Paul didn't know what was getting ready to happen. You don't know what's getting ready to happen. And yet Paul says this, In what I'm going through now, I will rejoice. But in whatever I go through tomorrow, I will rejoice. He didn't know what would happen. It could have been that that was his last day on earth. We know it wasn't, but it could have been. Paul says, if such is the case, I'll rejoice. No matter what I'm going through, I'll rejoice. We might call that resilient rejoicing. And you know what it comes through? It comes through the proper understanding of the afflictions we experience. We experience them directly from the hand of God and for God's glory and for our good. Preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. No, no, I probably don't. But I know who's going through it with you. And I know that He knows what you're going through. And listen, if if you came to me to get the help you need, you came to the wrong place. But if you'll go to Him to get the help that you need, you'll be going to the right place. And He'll be able to give you the encouragement and the strength that you need to say like Paul, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice.